You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 58. Today, we're looking at new laws in California. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And one way that we can do that is by educating ourselves about different legislation that's happening in different parts of the world. And Sandy, there are some new laws that are in California. Now, before you stop listening because you don't live in California... Uh, you may want to keep listening, particularly if you don't live in California, because one thing that we can do, Sandy, is learn about some of this legislation that if we're in other parts of the country, other parts of the world of how, what's the roadmap that California is drawing on some of these and has been a leader in some ways that might influence the work you might do in your part of the world too. Absolutely. And I am always interested in legislation in other parts of the world, in other parts of the country, because it gives us ideas for advocacy right here. So for instance, when I read last year that the that Virginia passed a law that makes mandatory training um, available to school teachers in the public school system, every time I have a chance to talk to somebody about that um, here in California, I mention it people with influence, because I want the same kind of standard here. Um, When I saw the law in Sweden, this is an an issue that we talk about a lot, because there's zero tolerance, and they don't treat um, women as perpetrators in, in crimes about prostitution. They always, always treat her as um, a victim. They don't arrest the women. They arrest the sex purchaser. And so those kinds of policy laws are opportunities for us to discuss what's happening here. So California has been a leader. You know, in a previous episode, we talked about the California Supply Chain Transparency Act, and already there is a federal version of that being written. It's in committee in Washington, D.C., and I hope that it becomes a standard uh, for business and legislation in other countries as well. So you may think, well, California's lucky they've got that. We'll find out how you can begin to advocate for legislation in your own country. Legislation, though, does not make change happen. People make change happen. And that goes back to some of the guests we've had on this show, Sandy. In fact, it's hard for me to think of a guest that we've had on the show that hasn't been someone who was started off of being one person who had a passion mm-hmm. for advocating for this issue of thinking something differently. I think about truffer, truckers against trafficking. Oh, yeah. I think about uh, the DA, you know, the DAs we've had on the show, um, trafficking victims themselves who have then become advocates, and just people from every walk of life um, of have written a book. You know, uh, even a local local moms who've written a book and gotten together. And we've seen so many examples of how one person or maybe two people got together and decided that they were going to do something that was going to make a difference and that they did. And so we all have the ability to influence uh, the 
our, our legislation and and many places of the world have the ability you have the, the ability to influence in some way whether formally or informally and so this is the opportunity potentially to grab some ideas and to say hey we should be doing this too exactly so if you are interested in what california is doing in the area of human trafficking legislation, you can go to our um, attorney general's website on state of California and then just write in human trafficking in the search engine and it'll bring up all of the California legislation that has already been passed. There's also opportunity to look at what is being written right now because this is an emerging um, area of legislation for sure. So right now here in California, we have a Trafficking Victims Protection Act. We have the Abolition of Child Commerce, Exploitation and Sexual Slavery Act of 2011. And that instituted a fine of up to $25,000 for um, funding programs for sexually exploited children. Um, in 2009, we amended the California Control of Profits of Organized Crime Act so that they could issue fines against any person convicted of procuring a child under 16 years of age. We have asset forfeiture um, laws, civil civil nuisance abatement, victim resources. Um, this was enacted in September 2012, and it expands the California Voluntary Tattoo Removal Program to serve individuals between 14 and 24 who were tattooed for identification in human trafficking or prostitution. I was really excited when that happened because I remember back in 2007 getting a phone call from someone in a juvenile detention facility saying we have a girl here she's 14 years old and on the back of her neck there is a number tattooed that was the number of the gang entry into their records of um keeping track of how much money they made selling her. Mm. And and this person, this worker said, said, we don't have any way, we don't have any funds for having that removed. And we're working in aftercare, we're trying to help her. Mm-hmm. But she sees that when she brushes her hair, she sees that when she looks in the mirror and turns her head. And I said, let me see what I can do. Within 48 hours, I had a volunteer at a medical center say, send her here and we'll take care of that. Mm. So now this, this law helps with that as well. Um, just over and over again, you'll look through this list. It's several pages of, of human trafficking legislation, including the California Transparency and Supply Chain Act. But one of the most exciting new laws from the perspective of the common person in the community that wants to do something to end human trafficking. And we want community engagement in responsible ways. And you and I have talked about the fourth P of partnership. Absolutely. And Dave, how do we define partnership? Reaching out to the community, any institution individual that would really be helpful in providing the resources that would 
help to combat human trafficking that the other party may not have and working together toward that mutual goal, at least is the way I define it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have resources. And as summer gears up, we're going to have a lot of young people, college students, high school students that want to go do something to fight human trafficking. Mm-hmm. I, I have to tell you, just this week, I had another mother with tears in her eyes ask me, so this club, Live to Free, that you have there at Vanguard, is my daughter safe? Well, I was very happy to reassure her that we follow best practice models for community engagement and outreach. We do not do um, investigation in dark, um, poorly lit side alleys where there may be um, massage parlors and and so forth. And and we've talked extensively on the show of why many of us should not do that and only we should leave that job to law enforcement. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So they've given us an opportunity with a new law that went into effect in April. And it is, it is called the posting of public notices regarding slavery and human trafficking section 52.6 of the civil code, Senate bill 1193. And this is fairly new, like within the last month Couple or two, of right? Months, yeah. Isn't that great? And and it says it it establishes first of all in the introduction that human trafficking is a form of slavery, and it talks about the number millions of human trafficking victims worldwide, and the number of women and girls. It talks about um, the United States as a destination country that we're going to see this right here, that it's very profitable. And then it talks about human trafficking is often hidden in plain sight. Victims of human trafficking often do not know where to turn for assistance and can be too intimidated to ask for help. Well, we've talked about coercion and they're afraid. And maybe they think they're in a debt situation and no one will help them and they don't see themselves as victims. In fact, we're going to talk about that even more on our next show with Susie Farthing oh, in the interview. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Senate Bill 1193 added Section 52.6 to the Civil Code. Did you know we had a civil code, Dave? I did know we had a civil code, but I have no idea what this section would be about because I, I this is the first time hearing well, about this, this law. This one is about um, laws that are impact local businesses. So the law requires specified businesses and other establishments as of April 1st, 2013 to post a notice informing the public and victims of human trafficking of telephone hotline numbers to seek help or report unlawful activity. There are specific posting mandates, language requirements, and penalties for failure to post. The mandated notice is available on this website for downloading. Each mandated business is required to post the notice in English and Spanish. In addition, for businesses located in specific counties, a third language posting may be required. So, The public notice requirements are very clear. I did exactly that. I downloaded it and you can do the same thing and we'll put the link on our show notes so that you can go to it and find out exactly what it says. So the, um, the mandates are that the following businesses post the notice on sale, general public premises licensees under the alcoholic beverage control act. 
adult or sexually oriented businesses as defined in subdivision section 318.5 of the penal code. Number three, primary airports. Number four, intercity passenger rail or right rail, light rail stations, sorry, bus stations, truck stops. For the purposes of this section, a truck stop means a privately owned and operated facility that provides food, fuel, shower, or other facilities. That goes right back to our conversation we've had before on truckers against trafficking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Number seven is emergency rooms with general acute care hospitals. Number eight, urgent care centers. Number nine, farm labor contractors. Number 10, privately operated job recruitment centers, roadside rest areas, and businesses or establishments that offer massage or bodywork services for compensation and are not described in paragraph one of subdivision of section 4612. So, so a lot of places that we've talked about on the show that, and we've talked with people who are doing work and trying to reach victims and do prevention that would be in some of these places. And so this brings even more awareness and and possible a possible lifeline to people who are in these situations. I am so excited about this. Some of our students, as soon as they heard about this, they started, they went right online because they know how to get posters. Mm -hmm. And um, you can go to the HHS website, Rescue and Restore, and order posters in Spanish and in English and probably in whatever that third language might be in your county. Probably here in Orange County, we're going to need signs also in Vietnamese, which we do have. And so would these signs, uh, I don't know if you've seen them, Sandy, yet, but do they have that, the 888 number on them as well? And They would need to have a hotline number. Um, the 888 number, 888-3737-888, in case we haven't said that already today, um, is the National Human Trafficking Resource Center, and it links back to local law enforcement and victim services. Um, there are other hotline numbers. Some counties have their own the um, Homeland Security has a hotline number as well. So the determining factor is going to be what is required in your area. But for general purposes, I think that the um, National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline is going to be the most common number that people can, can use. So the toll line has to be available 24 hours a day. So you can't start your own toll line and then you're only open Monday through Friday from eight to five and say, I'm a human trafficking hotline, which there are some organizations that have given out their number to victims and that's really admirable. But for this purpose, it has to be a 24 seven toll free number. And particularly uh, in these situations, this is something that People may be making calls late at night and at off hours for all the obvious reasons. Exactly. And and it has to be operated by a nonprofit, non-governmental organization. It has to be anonymous and confidential. And it has to be um, accessible in more than 160 languages. So that's why the 888 number is so powerful because we know we already have 170 languages at the National Human Trafficking Resource Center that are accessible when you make that 888-3737-888 call. That's amazing that they have that many languages that they support. 
Exactly. I didn't know that until today. Oh, it's amazing, isn't yeah. it? And the, and the thing is, um, that's their expertise, how to take all those calls. And when we talk about partnership in the community, you mentioned resources, and here's the expertise. These people can do that. Our Rescue and Restore campaign has produced the Look Beneath the Surface posters and a lot of materials. Um, Homeland Security has has posters as well. So when my student heard about this, the first thing she said is, we have to get some posters and take them out to the businesses that need these so that they can be in compliance. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about that. I was like, wow, what a great idea. We have resources. We have kids. We have students with nothing to do. Um, There's not a lot of summer jobs these days. And so what are we going to do? Wouldn't it be great if a youth organization decided to make this their summer project to make sure every one of these 12 kinds of businesses in their area had the appropriate sign posted? And this gets back to that conversation about partnership we had too, Sandy, of uh, student organizations have the hands and the feet a lot of times that you or I may not, even the center, you know, we have a few people that can go and do things, but a group of students has so much more ability to co- walk out there and really engage with people and get this information out. So a great opportunity for partnership. Exactly. And partnership has to be the filter when you plan this. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how to put together an action plan to do this. Mm, okay. We don't want people just throwing some posters in and going out and telling people, you got to put this up in your window. Okay, because that's probably not going to be received very well. And we want to build um, strong community engagement so everybody's on the same page. Mm. So if you're going to start um, a, a team to do a project like this, there would be a few things that you would need to do. And I'm actually, on our show notes, I'm going to put a link to a lesson that we teach dur- during our Hands at Heal training um, every year, which we just finished in, um, in May. And it's how to create an action plan and budget. You know, you have to count the cost. Always Taking, comes back to the economics. That's right. Yeah. Taking posters out is not free. The posters are free. Well, our tax dollars paid for them when you order them from Rescue and Restore. But delivering them, you're going to have to plan for the gas and um, maybe some lunches for people that day. So the, the action plan has... Um, Six columns. What is the activity? Who will do it? What resources do you need? When will it be done? How do we know it is accomplished? How do you know that you did what you said you would do? And then what's some additional information? So I kind of pretended like I was going to put together a youth team. And of course, our project is going to be public notice posters and who's going to do it is going to be the youth team. And they're all going to have to sit through a little orientation on human trafficking. And they're going to need to read this law that we've just gone through so that they understand what the law says and what it doesn't say. So they can't be telling people you have to do this. They can show them. And then once they um, have figured out what the activity is and who will do it, everybody that's gone through the training, 
then they have to make a list of the resources. So what kind of resources are you going to need to take a youth, a van full of kids out to do this in your community? Well, you mentioned one of them, Sandy, which is things like gas money, lunches. So even if people are volunteering their time, you still need to think about those things, depending on what kind of resources you're using there, you know, liability, waivers, insurance, you know, those types of things, depending on the organization you're working with and how that's all set up. Uh, and then, of course, some coordination of making sure that materials get to people. Uh, and in this case, I'm guessing, Sandy, it'd probably be helpful to have had some communication with whoever you're going to be interacting with in advance, rather than just showing up at people's doorsteps of, you know, if, is there a mailer that goes out in advance? Is there a phone call that's made in advance? Because, um, it, it, you know, just speaking as someone who, you know, is a business owner, if I, if I, if we had a retail location and a whole bunch of, uh, uh, you know, young people showed up at my door and said, there's a new law. I don't know. I wouldn't, I, I, I'd certainly be grateful to listen to them for the information, but I don't know if I would, I would sense that to be as credible as if I had gotten some information in advance, if I had, yeah. had there had been some, something that had been sent or a phone call made that explained kind of the new law, the new situation. Um, Cause that wouldn't be the way I would expect to get that information in the first way. So, so I think thinking through those from the perspective of the people in the, that place of business and the leaders in that place of business would be helpful in advance too. So those are just the things that come off exactly come, come to the top of my mind, Sandy. Well, and um, I think I think that's really important because you have to have a map um, figured out of what businesses fit this law, and then you're going to want to talk to the key people in your local community, your government leader, city council, whoever, maybe even local law enforcement, to let them know that you would like to do this project and you want to provide a service to these businesses by bringing them posters and providing that for them. Um, I agree. I don't think that it's a good idea to just show up with, um, here it is, you got to put this up. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great point, Sandy, too, is really partnering with other organizations that already have those relationships and have that credibility. So a city council, a chamber of commerce, a business organization, those are organizations that already have credibility and have the connections and the communications. Uh, you know, when I remember when I was the member of a chamber of commerce, if something came from them, mm-hmm. uh, I would read it. You know, I I knew that that was something that had been screened by somebody and that was of some importance to the business community. And if I saw something and then, you know, a group of students showed up, that would that would be I would get a whole different response then. And then if I just had something come out of the blue. So that's key in being able to leverage that partnership again, coming back to partnership, the partnerships that are already there. And this this ties right back into something we talk about a lot, which is let's not reinvent the wheel Mm -hmm. um, and go off and start create something that is more about what we want to do, but it's more about um, serving the existing networks, relationships that are there and realizing how we can step in and to help and to provide that service. And and a big part of that is starting by listening. Yes. Yes. And, and finding out um, what kind of um, posters are going to be most appropriate when you don't just order like one of the things, um, the most popular poster is all about sex trafficking. But a lot of the kind of trafficking that we're looking in some of these businesses are labor trafficking. So maybe you want the poster of of the hotel cleaning lady or the poster of the dishwasher at a restaurant or the, the young person in a field. The, these kinds of, of 
trafficking posters. So being very sensitive to not just always focusing on sex trafficking, because there is other kinds of issues at stake here. The, um, the next column, you decide when it's going to be done. And then when you're, when you're finished, you're able to check off all of the map sites and you know that you're done. And then you submit that report to your local leaders because it helps them show that they've done what they said they would do in community leadership and they are engaging in their community. When you develop, um, when you do a project, it's always great to report to somebody and be accountable with what you've done. It contributes to everybody's um, good outcomes in their end of year reports. So they like that. And uh, that makes you, they know next time when you come and say, we'd like to do this, that you're going to share the credit for that with them. And that's a powerful, powerful partnership principle. It is, and it earns trust. And once people realize that you are there to um, partner with them truly and help them to look good, because at the end of the day, it it doesn't matter as much on who gets the credit for it or who did the work. It's that mm-hmm. the message got out. And exactly. so if you can help the people you're serving to also look good and to share in that credit and to, sh- and it, to really be a true partnership, that's great for everybody. I mean, Absolutely. who wouldn't want to reach out and to help out as long as they know what's going on and it's coming from a credible resource? You, there's so much good that can be done here, Sandy. When, um, when I was first getting involved in doing community outreach, I was invited out to San Jacinto or San Jacinto. Um, and we wanted people to leave the big community meeting that we had with something tangible to do. So we brought thousands of the Look Beneath the Surface posters. And within just a couple of days, we got calls asking for more. Hmm. And one of the calls was from um, someone who'd been at the meeting that worked at the bus station. And she'd put it up at the bus station. And when the regional manager came through, he said, we need these at every bus station. How can you get more? Mm. And eventually, so even before this was a law, a lot of people saw the value of making sure that this kind of resource was available in the public um, community so that people would see this when they entered those kinds of businesses. And I think this comes back also to just the human element that we all share, Sandy. We're all in different organizations. We all bring different levels of expertise, but uh, almost everybody shares that common human concern for others and wanting to see an injustice like this addressed. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that, you know, so, some of us can play larger roles in that and some of us uh, can't for whatever reason, any number of factors, but everyone can do something. And so the example that you give of the manager in the, the bus company that was willing to get those posters out at all their locations is an example of something that probably just, it was just a couple of minute decision and then, you know, was able to be implemented and then brings awareness in many places. So there's just so many opportunities to to serve. And when we are part of the delivery system, we participate with government, um, that builds um, a community, uh, an organic community that is working together to end human trafficking. And that's our goal. We don't want to create a lot of lone rangers 
and people doing their own thing. We really want to work with our community, yep. work within the frame of our laws, use legislation um, so that we can create an environment where human trafficking can't exist. Yeah, and and the the Lone Ranger model is it's great to see individuals out there so passionate and get started with something. But ultimately, we limit ourselves if we're a lone ranger to only the work that we can do. But when we partner, then we create sustainable change mm. and we we connect with people who have different skill sets that we don't have. We connect with organizations that have relationships we don't have. And even if we're an individual starting something, which we've talked about the importance of being an individual beginning something, that does need to transcend past just the individual. Eventually, we need to form those partnerships so we can then reach out. And a great example that is some of the individuals who have come on the show who started something, but they have then reached out and formed right. partnerships in every single case. I can't think of a time we haven't had someone a network. come on and has ex- worked through it and built a network and exchanged and built partnerships and, and utilized our show to come mm-hmm. and get the message out through their partnership. And, and they've helped us get our message out and educating people. So it, it's it's so important to take the next step to do that. Well, I I just, I love the fact that we can partner with our local government and follow up with legislation like this. And I think that we can make businesses um, see us as a service to provide them with um, appropriate and attractive posters to, in order to meet their their requirements. But I, I also feel like there are some businesses that aren't on this list that might be inclined to also, if we offered um, accept a poster. I I am reminded of um, when I gave some resources to a an ethnic church, and they took the the posters and the materials back. And within seventy two hours, we had a call because they had trafficking victims that were part of their church mm. and didn't realize they were victims. Number one. And number two, didn't know that someone was there to help them. These were, um, they, they were known in their community and no one realized because we have to look beneath the surface. We have to educate our community. And this is just one new law that helps us do that. Speaking of resources, Sandy, one resource that anyone can tap into and is freely available is the center's website. Uh, and if you've listened to the show before, you know that we are a uh, we're a program of the Global Center for Women and Justice. That's at Vanguard University here in Southern California. And the website's a great place to go and check out resources. And that address is gcwj.vanguard.edu. So that stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice. And one thing we mentioned on a previous episode, Sandy, is that if you had subscribed to our newsletter previously, but weren't yet getting updates with resources and what Sandy's up Mm. to in the world. Uh, We had a little bit of a newsletter snafu and some of the subscriptions that people have been putting in did not take. And so if you didn't already hear this on a previous episode and you had submitted or wanted to get on our newsletter at some point and aren't getting any uh, any, uh, mailings from us, please do go on the website and it's now fixed, resubscribe. And you can do that also at that website, GCWJ. Dot vanguard.edu. But don't uh, necessarily stop there because uh, if you have a question, comment, or feedback for us, or there's something you feel that, that we can be helpful with at the center as far as information or perhaps helping make connections to some of those partnerships, be sure to reach out to us by email or phone as well. 
And uh, the best phone number to reach us at, Sandy, is... Is 714-966-6360. And then our email address is gcwj dot vanguard not dot at vanguard dot edu the website and the email address are almost the same which is that one character that's different and uh and check that out there's so many wonderful resources that are available to you and we can be that starting point for you perhaps for starting to build those partnerships and by the way speaking of partnerships one way that you can help in a small way but that will lead to a bigger thing is to go on to whatever network and directory you're using to listen to the show and to write a review or give us a star if you're listening on Stitcher. That will help more people to find the show and that will help more people to take action on building these partnerships that we've been talking about. Sandy, always a pleasure to talk with you. I always learn something new every time. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. This is always fun. And we'll see you again in two weeks. Take care, everybody. 